1: Away from the Champions League
0: final, the biggest news has, of course, been Lionel Messi's impending move to Inter Miami. We're
2: definitely a family, and no one can take that away. And, you know, Greg really helped us uh, form this type of. uh... relationship with each other.
0: Welcome everyone to another episode of It's Called Soccer. Today we are talking about the biggest news in American soccer to have hit Major League Soccer in the last few years. Leo Messi is joining Inter-Miami in July, the greatest player of all time. The World Cup winner will be coming to MLS, so we'll talk about that. His impact on the league and American soccer going into the 2026 World Cup. Also, Inter-Miami is currently 27th out of 29 teams in MLS. So we'll talk about if Lionel Messi at 35 years of age is good enough to bring Inter-Miami up the charts and into the playoffs. Then Nations League is upon us. The U.S. has a semifinal match against Mexico this coming Thursday. Depending on that result, the final or third place match will take place on the following Sunday. We'll talk about the roster, how the team might look, And some comments that have been made during the camp from Christian Pulisic and Timothy Weah defending Greg Berhalter. And we'll talk about if this means they are really looking for him to be rehired and what we think about that. Is Greg Berhalter the right choice to come back? What other coaches will we want to see in that? And since we talked to you last and since you heard from us last, the U20 USA team has been knocked out in the quarterfinal stage for the fourth consecutive tournament at the U-20 World Cup by Uruguay. A 2-0 loss. We'll talk about that game and who's maybe ready for some senior team minutes. All right, let's get started to talk about Lionel Messi first. Let's go to Tom Godin. How
2: are you, man? What's up? Doing great. Um, started a new job. Been doing a lot of uh, um, work with this satellite I work for now. It's been cool to learn some uh, stuff about how space telescopes work, but yeah, exciting stuff going on in MLS the last few weeks. Excited chats about Leo, Leo Messi coming and all the crazy stuff that that entails. And down south, Ellie, how are you? What's up?
1: Doing good. Living life. Having a good time.
0: Wonderful. I'm your host, Jake Landau. Let's get started in talking about Lionel Messi. Tom, you've been following Major League Soccer for a long time. You're, you're the uh, podcast Major League Soccer expert person that we go to to talk about american soccer to defend our national team players that play in mls what does leo messi coming to the league mean
2: i mean you know i you it's huge i mean there's nothing that you can say about it except it's huge over tw- a 24-hour period enter matt amy went from less than like 300 thousand followers on instagram to having more followers than any nfl mlb NHL or MLS team. They have over five million followers on Instagram in twenty four hours. If you look around the country, try to buy tickets to a Miami game, it's more expensive to buy tickets to inter Miami home games than NBA Finals games in Miami right now. Um you can't find a ticket anywhere to watch Messi play in the entire country. LAFC game tickets are going for sixty five hundred to get in the door. Um it's it's nuts. The the hype, the amount of eyeballs that are gonna be on this league when he comes in, it's it's like nothing we've ever seen it's 2007 david beckham came he sort of raised the profile of the league we're about to get that again except for a million times more because this is the greatest player ever to play the game coming to play in major league soccer this is you know unprecedented in american supports
0: And he's a few months off from winning his first world cup. He also had 20 goals and 20 assists at PSG last season. So it's not like he's washed or uh, too old to do anything on the pitch. Ellie, I know you're a newer soccer fan and maybe weren't around for the David Beckham years. Does this usher in a new era for major league soccer?
1: I hope so. I absolutely hope so. Um, I mean, just alone seeing everybody sprint for tickets, um,
0: BetOnline is your number one source for all of your championship finals information, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines in the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA and Stanley Cup finals. BetOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all of your insider sports wagering needs, from basketball, hockey, MLB, UFC, boxing, and the best sport on the planet, soccer, The fastest and easiest way to get your betting information, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your home. Get into the action today. Head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to get our promo code Believe—that's that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly.
1: And having seen things online, I was on... I think it was Instagram the other day and I saw a Reddit post from someone who was like, I'm new to all this and like inter Miami and things. I'm like, what is this team? Why are we in last? What like Why is there no pro rel? What is this? Why are we pink? Why, why is this team not in Miami, even though it's called inter Miami? Like it's one of those things that I think that we're in a new era where we're going to all of a sudden see a big surge in player in, fans to the MLS and potentially a rise in the league and a rise in soccer in the US. I mean, we're already seeing that trend. I think it just continues to go up from here.
0: You guys are talking a lot about the ticket prices and what Leo Messi means to the domestic league and some of the validation that we are always looking for as fans of Major League Soccer. From even our internal fan base, people that really pay attention to the Premier League or uh, outside leagues, not Major League Soccer, I think Leo Messi coming here at least gets those eyes on him, at least brings those people to stadiums to see the product on the pitch. I think if you're someone that is thinking that mls is where people go to retire that that thought is about 15 years too old i think if you go to a game or watch a game on tv you will be incredibly surprised at the technical quality the energy that is shown on the pitch today and there are very few players that either come here to retire or come here on a big paycheck and don't live up to that bill I'm thinking about uh, Zerdan Chikiri at Chicago. I'm thinking about Insigne at Toronto, although he had an incredible goal last night that uh, won the game for Toronto. So these players in this league and Lionel Messi joining, I feel like kind of brings us to 4.0. If David Beckham was MLS 2.0, the uh, designated player era after that with Thierry Henry, Robbie Keane, uh, Zlatan, MLS 3.0, this is kind of that next step. I also want to think about the, the external view of people not from America now watching Major League Soccer games, because the Apple deal allows people to watch MLS games from anywhere. There is no geographical blackouts. So uh, if you haven't heard, Messi will get a slice of the pie when it comes to subscriptions for MLS Apple TV. Uh, he'll get a slice of the pie for uh, Adidas jerseys that will sell. For Inter-Miami and Messi so I feel like on two different fronts it's American fans that have maybe shunned the league for a while and are going to be surprised when they come back and watch what this quality looks like and then on the other front of someone from England or Sri Lanka or anywhere in the world watching MLS having not heard of it or watched a game to really see that that means a lot to the validation
2: of this league I think I think you hit it on the head that the international validation it gives and just the eyeballs that gets in the league, even just domestically with soccer fans. Do you guys know what the most popular soccer league professionally in America is? Either Liga MX or Premier League. It's Liga MX, and it's <laughs> not really close. Um, but even going like top five, I think that the Brazilian Premier League or the Brazilian league and the Argentine Pro League are the, up there for like some of the most popular leagues and getting those South American eyes on the U.S., getting those fans of domestic league MECI teams who Messi's going to debut during League's Cup, a chance to see like Cruz Azul versus Miami Inter-Miami with Messi play. You start to sort of attract these fans who maybe have lived here, maybe lived just south of the border, and watch a lot of soccer to maybe start start expanding into that U.S. market, start following an American team. It probably won't replace League emeki but at least puts MLS on the map there. Argent- or, Miami's sort of the gateway city to South America, to Latin America. Um, having Messi there is nothing except for a huge boost to the league and the visibility in the Southern Hemisphere and in Latin America. So, yeah, there's just so much good that can come of this. There's already talk that uh, Conmeball wants to invite Miami to Copa Libertadores and get Miami to play in Libertadores in South America, which would... that's a huge club competition that would be so fun to watch. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways that this messy move raises the profile of the league internationally. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited to see what happens.
0: Even before Messi coming, it felt like there was a little bit of momentum within the U.S., just the groundswell of support for the national team at the 2022 World Cup. Uh, Major League Soccer, again, without Messi, has been improving leaps and bounds in quality. So looking at 2026, it was already looking positive going into that. But now we have three years of Messi exposure in MLS. Ellie, how how does that change your thought going into 2026?
1: I mean, I don't know. I think I'm hoping that this helps expand academies. I mean, that's the thing that that we're looking at, right? Looking at more players coming into the system, more players um, supporting the system, more players hopefully expanding us and getting us a much stronger team going into 2026. I mean, right, that's that's a solid three years away. We could get another really huge prospect coming in and, you know, maybe they come from our MLS academy. Right. With with Messi coming in, that expands and gives more money, more everything, more exposure to those clubs. Even right. If you if Messi comes to the U.S., starts playing at Miami, you know, maybe there's a kid in Seattle that goes to watch Messi play against, you know, against the Sounders and then gets inspired and joins the academy. And, you know just having that kind of support hopefully expands academies and brings more eyes. And also our players who are at in the MLS right now are going to have a huge like competition coming in that they're going to have to step up to the plate. Right. And so hopefully that also makes an effect that the players we already do have are going to have to take a major step up and potentially we get a bigger and more expanded academy with more players coming in that we get more prospects and we have, even more competition for those roles that we already have a really solid lineup for.
0: I mean, imagine being 18-year-old Benjamin Kromeshi at Inter-Miami, and your, your idol, someone that you've grown up watching, is yeah. is coming to the club he's and an Argentine, playing in similar... He's an Argentine yeah.
2: dual-nat, too, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think no. about players like Miles Robinson, and, you know, you circle that Atlanta versus Miami game uh, in September, he just spent, in the midweek, he just pocketed Denny Um If he could pocket Messi, like that's you know add a million to the transfer that he's going to get when he eventually goes or like Noel Buck in New England um if he can have a good game against Messi in the midfield then like that's you know that's a game that scouts will be watching and will be looking at to see if you can perform well so yeah there's just there's all sorts of good benefits for our kids who are playing in MLS right now and we do have so many of those who are playing across the whole league
0: I mean Ellie you mentioned the development of academies in the 70s when Pele came 1990 and 1994 were kind of the first elevation of the U.S. national teams back into the World Cup and back into the World's Game. So you think about the timing of that and the excitement around Pele definitely had something to do with the U.S. getting back into a soccer state of mind. I don't think we really were having trouble in 2023 to do that and to grow our academies, but anything to bolster that and improve that line of thinking and get more kids excited to play soccer, I just think... Just adds so many positive benefits to this move. Now that's all all on the business side, the development side. What about the sporting side for Inter-Miami? Because they currently are second from the bottom in the Supporter Shield table, uh, 27th place out of 29. Tom, is Messi good enough to bring them into the playoffs and make Inter-Miami one of the favorites for MLS Cup?
2: No. Just, just straight. No, there's, there's nothing to even argue there. Um, this Miami team is bad. They, I didn't watch them last night, but they got beat three one. They conceded a penalty. They gave up an easy set piece goal. They're possibly have the worst set of defenders in MLS, <laughs> um, and basically no one in the midfield to speak of that's not Brent, Ben Kamachi. So. Unfortunately, I don't see much talent that surrounds Messi, and you need more than a forward who spends most of his game walking to win games in MLS. Joseph Martinez? I mean... You have DeAndre Yedlin? You have De- Okay, so... USMNT, Drake Calendar Goalkeeper? You have, like, three or four individual pieces with some quality, but Kermashi's not ready yet. Yedlin is, I think, a little bit past it. Martinez is a little bit past it at this point. Um... You've never really gotten a lot from your DPs. You're under sanctions for already breaking DP rules a few years ago. <laughs> um, there's just not a lot going for this team right now. Those sanctions do list at, at July or January 1st, 2024. The sanctions lift. They can basically write blank checks for whoever they want. But until then, there's just not a lot of talent on this roster. I'm
1: going to argue with you there. I'm just going to argue there for just a second. Now, granted, I'm going to be off base. So I'm just going to throw that out here, but... I mean, I seem to recall a Lionel Messi that was super determined like not even 4 months ago or something like that and literally picked up Argentina and put it put them on his back and carried them to a World Cup final and a victory. So I'm just going to I'm just going to put a little asterisk by your comment there and say I'm never going to discount Messi for coming in and reshaping a team because boy Were we, we, has everyone been wrong before? Let's be honest, right? He got a lot of extra talent coming in for around Copas and in Argentina this year, but still, still, I really, I just would like to discount the, um,
2: just... Um, there is a difference between having a center back pairing of Christian Romero and Nicholas Otamendi at Tottenham and Benfica and having a center back pairing of, let me look it up real quick because, uh, I, because they're
0: so irrelevant that you don't
2: know their names. They ran a back three of Christopher McVeigh, who is a Swedish international, uh, Ryan Saylor, a 25-year-old American, who that tells you everything you need to know about how close he is to the international scene, and Kamal Miller of Canada, who is possibly their best defender. Um, that's there's there's a st- there's levels to this. Um, also, you had Alexi McAllister in the midfield, playing out of his mind. He's earned a huge transfer from Brighton, and you had Julian Alvarez, who. Can't even see the field for Manchester City because of how good they are, but he won a treble this year with Manchester City. Um, there was talent loaded on that Argentina team. Messi was special. He had a great tournament. That team was stacked. Um, this Miami team is not. <laughs> Let's just put it mildly. I, I do
0: think that every single game that Messi is going to play in in Major League Soccer is going to look completely different from the other matches that we've seen in the oh, yeah. league. And I'll, I'll kind of tell a story and I also want to just say that the person I'm going to talk about is nowhere close to Lionel Messi but I play on a co-ed team every Wednesday and the last playoffs that we had the uh, one of the teams in the co-ed league had Sebastian Latou playing on it so the games are at YSC which is the Philadelphia Academy where they play. Sebastian Latou is a union legend and MLS legend but he's probably late 30s early 40s now so he's just playing for fun but every single game that that team played, if you were up against Sebastian Latou, you you know damn well people were trying their absolute hardest. And the people that were on Sebastian Latou's team were also doing the same thing. I think Sebastian Latou and Lionel Messi are not the same person, but Lionel Messi will have that effect whenever he's on the pitch for an MLS team that both teams are going to be going 2,000% each player is going to want to make the best impression, want to make the the most of their energy and their technical quality.
2: Yeah, I that's true. But, you know, Messi's not a player. I mean, he's going to go he's going to get his goals and assists. That's 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 going to happen. But he's not a player who's going to drag you to 40 points in a row, I don't think. Or however absurd many number of games they're going to need right now. Uh currently they sit Seven points back of the playoff spot, which is not a huge bit of ground to make up, but there's just there's not a lot there. And they do, you know, there are nine out of 15 teams who make the playoff in the Eastern Conference. It's it's going to be really hard. that Miami's going to have to win some games before he gets there to really have a shot.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't look like they're going to do much winning until he does get there. Um, the other thing I'll say in defense of tom in this instance is that if if messi's on the field and nothing else has changed with the club for inner miami you can just mark out messi you can put yeah. two or three players on him you don't have to worry about any other attacking threats yeah unless joseph martinez finds a, another gear unless kremeshi starts to find the goal more often and, and be more of a threat I think unless they start to surround him with other players, teams don't really have to worry about anyone else on the squad and they can just mark out Messi from the game. Yeah. All right. Messi is
2: huge. Anything else we need to say about Lionel Messi? Hopefully we can get tickets to see him play at some point. That's my big goal. It's not happening this year. I can't afford (laughs) that money. But hopefully next year. That's that's my main goal. That's going to be a lot of money and a
0: lot of patrons so if you want to see tom Garden and ellie go to see leonel messi at atlanta united join the patreon because that money might go to that look to buy tickets
1: i'm gonna say this if you guys send me to an Inter miami game i will personally figure out how much every single person's outfit is before they walk into the stadium that <laughs> everyone knows i will do background research it took five minutes the other day to figure out Sujinio desks. I will do that. I'll do all the research on outfit on Claire Cost outfits.
0: Patreon.com slash it's called soccer. I mean, do you need a better <laughs> sales pitch? I don't think so. <laughs> all right. Going to our international squad, Nations League is happening this Thursday, another game between the U.S. and Mexico. It is a semifinal. The winner will play against the winner of Canada and Jamaica, I believe, who also play on Thursday. And then the final and third place game will also take place on the following Sunday. The roster is out, so let's break this roster down. At goalkeeper, we have Matt Turner, Drake Callender from Inner miami Sean Johnson, then at defense, we have Sergino Des, Walker Zimmerman, Chris Richards, Anthony Robinson, Miles Robinson, Joseph Scali, and Austin Trusty. At midfield, we have Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney, Brendan Aronson, Luca De La Torre, uh, <laughs> Johnny Cardoso. I was getting really confused that his name was Zhao. Um, Johnny Cardoso. Alon- ah, now I'm all messed up. Alan Senora, Taylor Booth round out the midfielders. And then at forward, we have Gio Reyna, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Ali Zendejas, Flo Baligan, and Timothy Weah. Let's start with Flo. Ellie, I don't think you've been able to talk about Flo Baligan since he committed to the U.S. Say your piece.
1: Man, I tried so hard to find tickets to go to these games so that I could watch Flair and Baligan in his first matches. And The disappointment that I have with that is immense. I'm so excited that he's here. And I'm really excited to see him with this team. Um, I saw an interview with him this week where he talked about, you know, having to earn his place on the squad and how he wasn't going to just walk into a spot and how he really needed to fight for his position. And it just warmed my heart a little bit more because, like, I think all of us knew him, that he was just going to walk into the spot that, you know – we have a a lot of people vying for that striker position but i don't we don't have anyone i think the same talent as Valerian Balogun. and so i just i find it really amazing the kind of mentality he's walking into this team with and i think that that's going to serve him well and i think it it will help with meshing with the team and i think it will help with finding a rhythm with this team um I hit the videos of him at practice. He seems to be on point and on target, and seems to be training just like everyone. It's very hard. Seems to be to be prepping for this game. I think that against Mexico, I think it'll be a completely different ball game. I'm excited to see him figure out Concacaf ball because um, we all know that's interesting. Um, so I mean, I think that'll be a really interesting challenge. Um, but I I think that I. I'm hoping he's up for the challenge and I think that it'll be really cool to see him for his first game is against Mexico and that's a big one. So I mean he'll be starting in a very big position in a very big game in front of a very big crowd. Like it's all gonna be very different, I'm sure, than what he's used to. But I I'm from what I'm seeing, I think he's gonna rise to the occasion.
0: Tom, does Flo get put in a chokehold in his first game?
2: no telling with us mexico us (laughs) mexico is always uh just giant rock fight it's it's gonna be uh no holds barred ever anything goes these games are just nuts and it'll be fun to watch It'll be a rude awakening in CONCACAF for sure for someone like Flo balligan who's never really experienced it before except at like the U17 levels. So yep. yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, do you think he starts in game one? Do you think he should start in game one? Um, or do you give it to the more experienced Peppy? I
0: don't know. It Personally, I think that Flo balligan should start this game. I mean, 21 goals, three assists in a top five league. He's 21 years old. He immediately became the top top scoring American in a top five league as soon as he committed to the the national team. I don't think you can take that away from him. And if we're going based on merit, based on club form, I would love to see him start. Although I understand the argument that, that people might make that Pepe might be the better start in this position to allow someone that understands the rivalry that knows how physical and uh high energy this game might be rather than throwing someone like Flo Baligan into the deep end immediately you know getting his legs taken out (laughs) in a first tackle and being kind of rocked or, or shaken for the rest of the game I can see him being a great impact sub as well if we need some energy and You know, if if Pepe's not cutting it in the first half, we can put Balogun in in the second or bring him on with 60 minutes uh, and just run at that back line. But in terms of scoring prowess, in terms of someone that is going to be a killer in the box, we have not had someone like Balogun, I don't think ever. Yeah. Um, And I don't see how how you can keep him off the pitch. The only argument I can see is that this is the first game, it's against our most bitter rival and the other striker on the roster, had did have a great season himself. It uh, does have to be said. He knows the rivalry, and this would be Balogun's first game.
2: Not uh, only knows the but, rivalry, is a Mexican-American yeah. kid from El Paso, Texas, like, grew up in this rivalry. Um, yeah, so I, it's, it's, I could see it going either way. I, I don't really think there's a, any complaints either way. Um, it's a good one-two punch to have Pepe and Balogun. I think they both have such unique skill sets. That they almost become one A and one B for me, where we you throw one on when you think when the game state tells you you need them. Um, now, and- Tom,
0: I, I know you had some additional formations that we might see or that our team might line up in. Is there a chance that Balogun and Pepe are on the field at the same time? We talked about this
2: in Discord yesterday, actually. How if you threw out a Jim Curtin classic four one two one two diamond where you have Pepe and Balogun on the field at the same time? You throw on any Johnny Cardoso or someone, maybe Luca De La Torre is your Adams replacement. You put Pulisic below them as an attacking midfielder, and you you cook. Um, it would be pretty narrow, um, but Mexico is probably going to play in a back three, so you can occupy some center backs with the two strikers. It would be would be kind of fun to see. I wouldn't. I would not be opposed to seeing a two striker formation in this match. So the two players are so different. Balogun can actually drift out wide if he needs to. Can interchange. Uh, it would be free to roam wherever he could find the game. I, mean, I think you could cook with that. And if you needed it later in the game, Pul- Reina and Weah coming off the bench for a 4-3-3 is just disgusting. Like, that's just not fair to be able to throw those two on when you need them in chasing a goal or something. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I would not be B. opposed. Just let B.J. Callahan cook. Yeah, let, let the guy coaching his first ever professional <laughs> soccer game cook.
0: <laughs> Ellie,
2: how, how do you think our
0: midfield will line up without Tyler Adams available?
1: I, am thinking that they're going to end up with uh, a three across. Um, I'm thinking that we're going to end up with, um, I'm hoping that we put um, McKinney in that mid space where we usually would put Adams. I mean, he's played with Adams for years. He knows kind of the strategy I'm sure behind a lot of that. And I kind of would like to see him kind of slot into that role and try his hand there. I mean, we know that McKinney can play almost anywhere on the field, almost any position. Um, And so I think putting a versatile player who can move box to box would be wonderful. Um, and then putting I'd like to see De La Torre and Musa on either side of him. Um, De La Torre has had a lights out season, has just hands down, played fantastic. And I think Musa could use the confidence boost of being put out there and, you know, really showing that you know we had a really rough season with Valencia, but really showing that, you know he's he's not lost it and he still has everything it takes to be given faith to go in and play really hard. um. And to be shown that, like, no one has given up on him and he can still fight for it. So, that's the <laughs> midfield I'd like to see personally.
2: Question. Yes. If you're running that midfield, who are you running at right wing?
1: Uh, Pulisic.
2: Who are you running at left wing?
1: I'm really concerned about this. Uh,
0: Ray- I think he's asking Reyna or
2: Wea. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who do you take are you running- out? Are you running Weah and not yeah. Reyna? Ooh, yeah. interesting. I actually am... I have a 4 3 so I put together three rosters uh all with a back four and a single striker. I have a very similar 4-3-3 to you as one of them with Dellatori playing below Musa and McKenny instead of McKenny yeah. playing Batou Dellatori and Musa and I have Wea starting but I circled Dellatori very big and have Johnny written next to it with a question mark <laughs> and I circled Wea really big and I have Reyna written next to it with a question mark. So
0: I do think you run a risk if like I think we're asking for trouble if we don't have one of McKenney or Cardoso in that defensive midfielder position just because of the opposition that we're playing. Uh, and this this is genuinely not the best Mexican national team that we've ever seen. Um, I expect them to be quite physical and kind of give us that kind of game. And I worry about having, while Luca De La Torre will be amazing as a shuttler of the ball and help us keep possession really. Pre- like thinking about protecting that back line and being able to match that midfield physically. I feel like McKenney and Johnny are two of the only players on this roster in the midfield
2: position that could potentially do that. I, I kind of agree. I feel like you need someone back there. I This midfield is giving me headaches because it is so straight. And <laughs> it's such a weird group without Adams. And also Mexico is basically speed FC up front uh, with Jimenez mm-hmm. and Intuna up there. They don't have Lozano, which is... A huge blow to them and kind of sucks that we don't get to face the player of that quality but um there's still enough talent and speed across that front three that they can really punish you quickly so yeah. i want someone to cover the back line uh and i i, I sort of worry the other sort of i i, I kind of like the idea of johnny playing in this game just to sort of add some defensive stability or what do you guys think of going to a back three Um, take this whole thing out of the game and just stick Walker Zimmerman in the center of a back three and just (laughs) sort of concede that the best way to counter a back three is with a back three and you put some athletic center backs back there who can cover you.
0: I mean, I think Zimmerman is great in the air. He's probably not the most athletic and, and speedy center back. I think we do have three on the roster, though, that could could do that well against Mexico. I just don't know if it would work because they haven't really had any time to play together. And I'm talking about Chris Richards, Miles Robinson, and Austin Trusty. All of them have experience playing in a back three. All of them are athletic, speedy, good in 1v1 defending situations. So you can take more risks up top to leave your defense alone and and in those 1v1 situations. I just worry that because none of them are really getting playing time together. I mean, Miles Robinson in Major League Soccer and Austin Trusty have gotten minutes, but Chris Richards has pretty much been on the bench since he got healthy for Crystal Palace at the end of the season. So, like, those are probably the three that I would go with in a back three if we had, you know, five warm-up games (laughs) to build into this, but we don't. Um, Yeah. Ellie, what do you think?
1: I'm just trying to envision it. So you have a back line with with the trusty Robinson and It would be Richards.
2: yeah. It would be trusty in the left center back, it'd be Robinson at center center back and it'd be Richards on the right.
1: Okay, but then your midfield, do you put Dest and Anthony yeah. Robinson on the and then you put McKinney and Musa in the middle? Yes. Do you put okay. And then who do you do you do a false do you take a false nine? Alligan's your
2: striker. Do you do
1: wingers, do you do a straight striker? Like, are we put in a box like I have a lot of questions <laughs> about the tacticality of this. Like are we are we playing are, are and Moose expected to play box to box? Are we expecting Okay. Okay. So
2: Miles Robinson is your defensive cover. He steps up anytime you need someone to step. Uh McKenney and Moose are your eighth. They're sort of your box to box shuttlers. McKenney is the passer, Moose is the dribbler. And then you have a three across the front line of Pulisic, Balogun, and Weah. all three of the or no Pulisic Balog and Reyna I have Reyna there because all three of them can interchange they can go to any position they're very fluid all three could drop into a false nine all three could go to the left or right wing all three could drift centrally (laughs) receive a pass make a run behind Reyna would possibly drift into a into a central role a little bit allow Dest to push forward a little bit
1: That's So, thinking about this lineup, that sounds like almost the ultimate defensive lineup that we could put out there with, like, no striking or attacking. Um, You have, like, three people who can strike and attack, but you have, like, seven people (laughs) dropping back into a back line. Like, you've had Des and both Robinsons, uh, Richard's, trusty McKenney, like you have all these people who are ready for a defense, right? Which is, I mean, fair, fine, whatever. But then you only have three attackers. Um, and I don't know about that one. Um, it just sounds very defensive and not as offensive as it could be.
2: I I think you would sort of set it up to mirror what the U twenties did at the U 20 world cup, except for you would have, uh, Flair and Balligan in place of Diego Luna, which is a significant upgrade um, at your nine position.
1: But how well did the U20s do in their last game? I'm just going
2: to. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, but
1: like, it, it's, it's, it's a thought. <laughs> it's a thought, but be careful with that thought um, running too far because as we're about to talk about, I don't know how well that went, and I'm not sure I want to see that in our um, senior team just a personal statement there um I don't know I think it's a defensive play but I don't want us to play defensive against Mexico I think that's one of our greatest strengths is our creativity and our versatile our versatility I think is something that serves us super well I'm gonna I mispronounce all the words there um I think is I think it serves us super well against Mexico and I think it's one of the reasons we been super we've been playing super well against Mexico as we've been able to really adapt and change and anything they throw at us we've kind of just rolled with it and I think that if we lock down on a defensive lineup I think we have we run the risk of losing that if that makes sense the
0: the three in the back systems kind of allow you to play however you want like it can be defensive it can be attacking it can be a mix of both Um, also like i'm finding out more and more that most teams use different formations in the build out use different formations when they're in their block defense or rest defense so yeah the formation that you see at the beginning of the game is kind of like a general guideline of where players might be throughout the game um, but i think like no matter what what whether it's a 3-4-3 three, three, whether it's a Four one two one two, whether it's a four three three, um, all of those are just the graphics that you might see at the beginning yeah, of it, the
2: game. Like it determines the eleven yeah. personnel you're gonna see on the field, um, what roles they're gonna have to play. But yeah, you usually see a different formation in attack versus holding versus defense. So um the one that everyone seems to want to see is a line of three of Raina, Pulisic, and way up below Balogun with McKenny and Musa as the double pivot beneath them, so four, two, three, four, one, 2 three one basically. yeah is the is the one with Reyna playing the ten, pressing out of that four two four that Hudson was using and just going. Um I worry about that one a little bit. I worry that McKetty and Musa are gonna get exposed in a formation like that. But it would be fun. It would be fun. <laughs> it would be the four most creative players in American history uh going ham on the back line of Mexico. <laughs> We've already seen Mexico Reyna once just take out the entire Mexican team on a dribble. So, I if if he could just glide skillfully past them yeah. with the talent that would be around him in that formation would be it would yeah. be fun to watch. So, I, I'm not opposed to seeing it. I do worry about it though because I don't trust yeah. Kenny and Musa that much when we're pressing to provide the defensive cover we need. Well, you know who hates
0: a four-two-three-one and the number ten. Greg Berhalter. (laughs) So, earlier this week at the Nations League camp, there were a few players that were asked questions that might have related to Greg Berhalter or might not have. And they made some comments to the media in obvious defense of Greg Berhalter, uh, even going so far as to say we hope that he comes back. So, Christian Pulisic and Timothy Weah were two of them in the camp. They... Eventually sparked outrage with USMNT Twitter because of that. Um, you know, people say they should be kicked off the team now for their comments, but we don't prescribe to that. Um, I would like to ask though, how much, how much are these just players protecting their own playing time in case Greg Barhalter gets rehired? Are they making genuine attempts to speak their mind? And do they want to see Greg Berhalter back? Is it basically, are the players lobbying for Greg Berhalter to be back? And that goes very counterintuitive to what the current, um, I guess, groupthink is within the USMNT community.
2: I I can't really get a read on it. Um, Part of it is, I think, that the state of the program when Burr Halter took over versus when he left it is so different that of course these guys can have really good feelings towards him he took them from a team that was in disarray a team that was just throwing youth at the wall and seeing what stick stuck after a brutal failed world cup qualifying campaign and took them to the to the round of 16 at a world cup qualified won some trophies um played some iconic games so of course they're gonna look fondly on and back on him and also came during a period of Pretty big turmoil at a lot of these guys' clubs. I mean, Pulisic has had an awful time at Chelsea the last few years, and the national team sort of been his escape. So, some of it is just going to be, I think, these guys grew a lot as national team players under Halter, and some of it might be that they truly do want him back. It's it's harder to get a read on them. I I, I do wonder if some of it is intentionally done just to just sort of mess with Twitter a little bit, like they're just sort of. <laughs> Taking turns saying this stuff just to see what people were, how people will react. But when they go out to dinner
0: at night, they they talk about how they're gonna
2: stir the pot. The the best one would be if they go out to dinner next and say, "All right, Flo, you're up." (laughs) What Ellie?
0: What what would Flo say about Greg Berhalter?
1: I mean, I think the thing that I think the the common thread I'm seeing between every single comment is Greg Berhalter made it feel like a community. Um, And having read a little bit about just what he did in Qatar alone, um, he seemed to work very, very hard to make the players comfortable and make them feel safe, bringing in families, bringing in things that he knew that they liked so that he could make them feel comfortable in spaces that he knew that they may not feel comfortable. And so I think what Balogun might come in and say, right, is something along the lines of, I want a coach who cares about me, right? who thinks very specifically about what makes me happy and what brings me joy, and then went out and did that thing so that he could help support me. And so, I mean, I think that's the common thread I'm seeing in all of these, right?
0: Yeah, and so the comment from Christian Pulisic on Greg Berhalter is, I think he is still considered. I think he should be considered. I think he did a great job with the team. He brought us a long way. I think a lot of people and a lot of guys in the team especially would agree with that. That is Christian Pulisic's quote. Um, I also want to read the first uh, Reddit comment on this quote, which is, I do not trust Pulisic to know anything about top-level soccer or the U.S. men's national team. I only trust the posters on Reddit and the geniuses on Twitter. <laughs> yeah,
2: let's let's, let's <laughs> not perfect. talk to our uh, only player in men's national team history to have won the UEFA Champions League about what he yes. knows about soccer. So
0: shout out to Johns the Squire on Reddit for that amazing comment. Um, yeah, it's it seems like the players grew a lot under Greg Berhalter, exactly what you were both saying. They feel a connection, not just to their teammates, but to him. And I think also like I've seen in the, the behind the scenes videos from the US national team that they put out on YouTube, like if you go back to... 2018 2019 there are a few moments where Greg Berhalter says something in the locker room and everyone's just silent um like everyone's just kind of looking around and then there's moments in world cup qualifying where he does say something awkward or silly and they all kind of like laugh at him as if it was a dad joke and they they it seems to have a lot of inside jokes it seems to have a lot of that feeling of just like yeah okay you're not 20 years old like us but we appreciate you we respect you um i i'm a staunch believer that you should only be a coach of a national team in the four-year world cup cycle so all of this to me is kind of irrelevant i don't i don't think greg berhalter is the coach that gets us to a semifinal or or final in the world cup i do think he's a safer bet than most people feel to get us to a quarterfinal, to get us to the final eight in the 2026 World Cup. But if I'm just thinking about who's the next best person to really take us to what we're kind of all expecting from a home tournament in three years when a lot of these players are more in their prime, I don't think that's Greg Berholt.
2: But is that person in the current pool of candidates is my
0: question. I mean, Pep Guardiola needs a new challenge, Tom. (laughs)
2: he does I'm
1: walking out
2: I mean Pep does actually need a new challenge he's basically done everything you can possibly do in Europe at this point Um, so yeah I mean maybe but I I still doubt that anything like that's ever going to happen there's just not a lot of people especially who are top five league coaches who are going to take a pay cut to coach a national team I don't think uh, without some connection to the club. The one yeah.
0: selling point is that you can win the first World Cup for the U.S. on home
2: soil. But even... Okay, we've talked about this before. Even if you add a coach who is tactically brilliant, someone like Jose Mourinho who is built to win knockout games of tournaments, with the current player pool the U.S. men's national team has, do we think that a coach alone is enough to elevate you beyond more than like the semifinals? Okay, so
0: club teams are meant for coaches to come in and improve their players to the point where they can compete at the level that the coach wants i think for national teams that is a little bit flipped you kind of need to extract the most amount out of your players that you can at any given point in time because you don't have the time to train them Mm -hmm. so with that being said i would much rather have someone that can that does two things really well the first is build that team environment so that everyone is running through a brick wall for each other because energy and athleticism does mean a lot still as much as we want to talk about technical ability and everything the second piece is that tactical mindset Um, I personally feel like Jose Mourinho is probably a little bit past it at this point Um, I don't really think he's innovated on his style in the ways that I've seen Pep Guardiola and the Klops of the world innovate on their style, um, which to me still feels like they're they're experimenting, like they're figuring out new things but Jose, like, I know we're getting into specific coaches, but I
2: don't think Jose Mourinho has really moved on from his one trick. He also would be the worst coach for a youth revolution that exists in the entire yeah. world. <laughs> Look what he did to my guy. Look how he uh, ruined Delhi Alley. <laughs> I mean, you, you talk about a coach, you'd have players riding through a brick wall for each other. I mean, they just, they would all hate him, like, immediately. <laughs> like,
0: Maybe that's what they need. They need a common enemy that they can all hate together. And that's the way that the team gets built.
2: Oh, uh, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I just struggle to find a good coach for this pool. I personally don't think gonna coming back. I don't think that he should. I don't, I think that it's time for him to move on. There's just too much bad blood in the water at this point, which is just sad. Yep. I think he did a good job. I think that the players are right to compliment him. I will always look back fondly on this, ter- on, uh, on his tenure, but, I just don't see any way that he makes that decision to come back. Where the USSF, after taking eight months to hire a coach, goes back to the guy that they had previously. And if they do, I might be kind of frustrated by that. So, yeah. Okay.
0: I'm kind of done with this conversation. Ellie, who's the one coach that you're bringing in?
1: Emma Hayes. (laughs) All right. Nice. Or Pia Montage. Women. No,
0: not Pia. Emma Hayes, maybe.
1: Woman coach! Woman coach for the men's national team. It's happening. I'm calling it now.
0: Talk about a risk to not because they're women, but because they don't, they haven't done it before. Okay. Speaking of coaches, Mikey Varas at the U-20 took the U.S. to the brink, uh, the fourth quarterfinal in a row that we have lost in that round. They lost two to nothing to Uruguay looked like a really professional performance from Uruguay and one that the US wasn't really up for. Really unfortunate when these games happen and kind of every single player on the team has a bad game. I don't know if that has something to do with how we set up or just something else or just everyone had an off day, but it did seem like the the wrong time, wrong place for a lot of these players that we know could do better. Um, Ellie, what, what to you went wrong in that last match?
1: I have no idea. I am honestly going to tell you. I saw... Now, now, granted, I did not watch the whole game, but having watched the highlights, there just seemed to be thing after thing. That, like, it seemed like everyone was just... Everything was just off. Everyone seemed very tense. Everyone seemed...
0: Stuck in mud a little bit.
1: Yeah! Like, the, the first goal... What a... The... Justin Jay has a very clear of shot at defending that and getting that ball out and clearing it and just completely fumbles it. Like, not even a little bit. Like, slides right past the ball. Like, it didn't seem like a mistake I would think you would... I don't, I don't even know how
0: to finish. We had not seen it. Like, Justin Che had a great tournament up to that point. He is making good, sound decisions. I think, like, in that one moment in a high-pressure situation, in a knockout round of a World Cup, you make one bad move, and it's a goal for the other team. Um, Tom, what did you think of the game?
2: I. They looked really good for the first 20 minutes. They were attacking well. They were, you know, uh, getting after it, and then couldn't find a breakthrough and just sort of fell apart and could never, like... I don't think they ever mentally got back in the game after conceding the first goal. It really just felt like they just struggled to sort of find a pass at all. Uruguay sort of seemed to grow in confidence, just smother the defense. It just mm-hmm. looked disjointed, and, like, they just didn't know what to do, and there's some element of just the shots weren't falling. I mean, how many times is Pook's just going to block a shot in the box from Cade Cowell? Like, that's just so unlucky. So, wasn't their day, and... It's hard. That Uruguay team is loaded with talent. Six of those players just got call-ups to the senior national team for their yeah. June window. So they're okay, but
0: they were also missing a ton of players from injuries and suspensions.
2: And so, yeah, they did play on two days like, less rest. So and they had a player gone, and they played 120 minutes prior. So like, yeah, there was stuff in our favor too. And it's just you know sometimes it's not your day. Um, I do think that the tactical setup from avaris might have backfired a little bit that false nine really works when you are seeing a lot of the ball and you can drop that nine in there but when you need an outlet to hold something up and let your players get forward diego diego luna is just not going to do that for you yeah. so what
0: about uh so we brought Pre- kevin paredes in and roca Fukchas for the knockout rounds they flew in a few days before the, the knockout round started and then neither of them started in the match. Uh, we kind of went with the, I said in the discord during the game that Forrest made the mistake of dancing with the girl that he brought essentially yeah. like he put in players that had performed throughout the group stage. Um, not thinking maybe about what his best 11 was.
2: Yeah. I, Did I you guys got the same feeling. I kind of got that same feeling, especially I really don't understand the logic behind play. Continuing to play Owen Wolf as a right winger when he's a plays as a double pivot six in MLS and, uh, you're throwing him up as right wing out of position when you have Kevin Paredes who can play either left or right wing for you. Like, it, it feels like I would go with the Bundesliga winger rather than the Austin defensive midfielder yeah. in that wing spot. It just sort of feels natural, right?
0: Yeah, and even, like, I don't think Daniel Edelman played in the sixth spot. Oh, We had Obed Vargas in that position. So it just felt like we probably had two other opportunities other than opet vargas and i'm not saying that vargas was was the issue in this game but again just thinking about the best 11. vargas was one of the youngest players in the pool he had started only one of the matches in the group stage, or two of the matches in the group stage um so if that's the bad if that's the uruguay game ellie what else stood out to you in the tournament could be positive could be issues that we might see in a few years coming from this group of players
1: Oh, goodness. I don't know. I mean, I think that it was good to see this group play together. I think that there were... I think there's a lot of conversations about where these players should line up in futures, what kind of everything. I don't know. I was impressed with Gaga Slonina throughout the whole tournament. I'll say that. Um, And I... I'm excited to get to see him in a bigger position. I'd like to see him. And as he grows and expands, Um, it left me with more questions about Cade Cowell than I had before entering. Um, But I kind of walked away kind of expecting that. I'm not going to lie. I don't know. I don't know if I take away one thing from all of it. I don't, a lot of input.
0: Yeah. More questions.
1: More questions.
0: Tom, who do do you think, coming from this tournament now, is ready for senior
2: team minutes? I think the closest is probably Cade Cowell. Um, uh, He still got stuff to work on. His decision-making still needs to improve, but his physicality, the way that he can just take over a game, is next level and well beyond a youth player uh, for what he can do on the ball. So I think he's probably pushing for senior team minutes. And, you know, maybe Slanina, maybe uh caleb wiley um but i was sort of looking at positions of need more than just sort of like any player because yeah. i think wiley's probably closest because our left back options are terrible beyond anthony robinson um slanina's probably closest because the goalkeeper slot is sort of up for grabs uh cowles probably closest because he's physically just well beyond youth games beyond that um it's hard to sort of tell. I, I liked what I saw from Brandon Craig, but I would like to see him do it in MLS first. I liked what I saw from Obed Vargas, but I think he's still got a little bit of maturing to do. Um, I like what I saw from Diego Luna, but again, I need to see it in MLS first. So yeah, there's there's a lot of players who played well, who stood out, who I just think need to show it on a professional soccer field before they start pushing for national team minutes.
0: That final game was kind of unfortunate from the perspective of so many players and like i'll even say mikey Varas stock to me was rising and i just feel like that game against uruguay crashed everyone uh <laughs> cooled me off on Varas, cooled me off on brandon craig um like craig i think did really well in the first four matches because we could see all of the positives and none of the negatives we could see the passing range we could see um his oh, defensive awareness but then when it came to athleticism and being in the right place at the right time that was kind of found out against Uruguay I think about yeah Caleb Wiley had a good tournament but maybe wasn't able to do it against your Uruguayan op- opponent um, yeah just a lot of players that were shooting
2: up in that stock and then kind of cooled off in that last game uh, so Caleb Wiley's one that really confuses me because I didn't think he had the best tournament I think he played well and there were some moments of pure magic from him but He gets back from that. He lands in L.A. and joins Atlanta in L.A. and immediately comes off the bench and provides the two best chances for Atlanta in a match against LAFC. Um, And then comes out and plays spectacular on the weekend in a 3-1 win. He looks far and away like one of Atlanta's best attackers when he plays for them week in and week out. But he didn't really look like that with the U-20s. I don't understand how he is so dominant in MLS and so this doesn't... Quite look as dominant with the U20s in a youth tournament?
0: Could be uh, chemistry with the team. Could be the formation and the position that he's playing. Like, I'm assuming for Atlanta he's playing strictly left wing uh, like as part of the three attacker line, but in the U20s he was playing a left wing back position as part of the, the back three, back five. So could be that. I think there's I saw a lot of good from a lot of players that showed me that they have potential to become something. And from from one to twenty three, or however many players we had on this roster, I felt like this was the best roster that we've seen from a U twenty team. Just we could have played like yeah, maybe there was a best eleven, but we could have played legitimately every single one of those players as part of the starting eleven and made a case about them. Yeah, maybe Wolf was in the wrong but... <laughs> wrong position, not playing his MLS position, but it just feels like this team has a lot of growing to do, but a lot of opportunity
2: to potentially join that senior team in the next few years. Yeah, I think so. Although I don't see anyone who's as ready to slot into the senior team as I did the last time this tournament happened. Um, last time yeah. this happened was 2019. So Gino Desk we had insane. some high-ceiling yeah. players yeah. in that team. Sergino Dest, Tim Wea, Chris Richards all had spectacular tournaments. And sort of immediately, yeah. like you could tell like these guys are ready for it. Dest went back and won a yeah. spot at Ajax after that tournament. We don't have anyone who's going to do that coming off this tournament. But we have some players. I mean,
0: Ricardo Pepe and Paxton Aronson didn't, weren't with the team, but they're kind of in that, yeah. that category as well. They were eligible.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair. It's still a little bit lower than what Dest was doing. I mean, he went to a Champions League semifinal off of that U twenty World Cup. Um, but yeah, there were some crazy good talent in those in those <laughs> that team. And there's some good talent in this team too, even with the players missing, who I think are gonna have great careers. I mean, we haven't even talked about Jack McLean and what he can do on the ball. So um there's it's the sky's the limit for this Winder team. is going to Benfica. Yeah. I mean their their last eighteen <laughs> year old center back is the most sought after center back in Europe now at Benfica. So who knows what these guys are gonna do. Jonathan Gomez looked really good uh, in this tournament. And I think he's going to push for a spot at Sociedad. So you never know with these guys. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, you've got a bunch of lottery tickets and you're hoping a few hit.
0: Good things ahead. Unfortunately that we lost to Uruguay, but we'll be back again, potentially in another quarterfinal in another two years. We only have to wait two years between the youth world cups. All right. Uh, that is it for our show. Let's go into last words. Ellie, what you got?
1: <laughs> do we want a surprise or do we, let's just, let's just, it's going to be the same. Support your lower league soccer teams. Um, you know, it's, seasons are getting started. They're pretty, actually, I guess they're underway at this point. They're
2: right midway well. through now at this point.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, supporting women's teams where you can. Um, I've heard some some telling news about some new women's leagues popping up, which is super exciting um, for, for the lower levels. Um, and just keep a watch out. I mean, it's crazy. Um, just what a wild place to find such interesting drama and wonderful excitement. Um,
0: What's your favorite drama in lower league soccer right now?
1: Man. Just the arguments between our like USL, MLS, Next Pro, and NISA—the three leagues—like it's just the amount of just angry everything. They're just they're just such angry leagues, um, and there's so much competition. I'm I'm kind of wondering how long all of them last. And I think my favorite drama is kind of seeing what changes are happening in the leagues and kind of seeing leagues that you're looking at. You're like, are you going to die? Are you going to survive another two years? Looking at you, Nisa. <laughs> I don't know, know what's going on there. so MLS Next Pro just takes you and um, how long will USL survive against the MLS Next Pro model? Are we gonna end up Are we gonna end up with promotion relegation in the United States? Like, can Messi bring that to the US? Like so much drama, so much And just the pettiness between the leagues, like I'll tell you living in a town that technically has two teams, technically, um, it's very interesting to see the drama between USL and Nisa and MLS Next Pro and see just how much they hate each other, um, just how much the right, like the the legal battles happen. Um, So if you're looking for your next drama, don't go to The Bachelor. Look at lower league U.S. <laughs> soccer. Boy, you'll find it there.
0: Look up how Chattanooga Red Wolves got their start. Don't worry, I'll bleep that out. I'll bleep out their name.
1: You can gonna- <laughs> the Eastridge team. The Sad Wolves. There are so many <laughs> other names. Um, there's only one team in Chattanooga. And they bleed blue, not red. <laughs>
2: Tom, what you got? Um, I'm gonna take it a little bit more somber note today. Um, uh, there was a, we just got word a few hours ago that um, American Outlaws lost a huge member of their community. Um, ben Cowherd was a drummer for uh, A.O. Nashville for many years. He was a huge member of the Nashville soccer community. Um, passed away tragically today at 35 years old, um, which is a huge loss to us. He'll be sorely missed at U.S. games banging that drum at Nashville, so S.C. bangs their games banging that drum. He was. A dear friend of mine uh, helped me get into soccer when I was just starting out. And, you know, tell your loved ones you love them. Cherish every moment you have because, you know, life is short. So that will be missed. There will be tributes to him at the next few American Outlaws uh, events that we have out in Vegas for these next two U.S. games. And, yeah, um, we lost a really awesome member of the U.S. community today.
0: All right. My last word is I love you guys. Thanks for doing this pod with me. I appreciate you. And we will see you next time on It's Called Soccer. Uh, The Nations League should be done and we should be able to talk about the results and how Flo Balagan scored 17 goals in two games, breaking all records for the U.S. We'll see you next time.
2: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early,